Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. Hello! We are so excited to have an incredible, passionate voice for the protection of animals with us today. Dr. Hope Ferdosian is seeking a Belmont report for animals. The Belmont report was a report decades ago that said, hey, if you're going to do anything involving experiments and human beings, you have to have ethical standards. You have to have boundaries. You have to have certain rules. And uh, now, Dr. Hope, if I can call you that, is saying we need to do the same for animals. Take it away. What is your plan? Hi, Jane. It's great to be with you today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, as you mentioned, we now have wonderful protections for human subjects of research. Um, Of course, they could always be better, but we have a clear framework that guides any decisions about including people in research, children, adults, people who are incarcerated, all people. And the Belmont Report only came around, as you mentioned, about um, several decades ago in 1974, because of a lot of concerns about research abuses in the United States, the US Congress appointed the Commission for the Protection of Human Subjects of Biomedical and Behavioral Research. And the, that, was, that commission basically within five years published the Belmont Report. The Belmont Report now guides all of research decisions in the US regarding human research. And the Belmont Report laid out three key principles respect for autonomy, this idea that we should be able to govern our own lives, beneficence, which also encompasses non-maleficence, these ideas of do good and do no harm, avoid harm in as much as possible, and the principle of justice, the idea that there should be fairness in terms of the selection of research subjects. And that has laid the groundwork for specific applications specifically informed consent, this idea that we, you know, we shouldn't conduct research without the informed consent of individuals who are participating in research or their surrogates in the case of vulnerable populations like children. And, you know, then we also have this risk benefit assessment. So that we should avoid harm whenever whenever possible. We should minimize the risk of harm to individual subjects of research. And then this idea of justice basically means that individuals who are um, may understand more about the risk and benefits of research and may benefit more from the research should be preferentially selected 
if they can give informed consent. So say, for example, if you're making a decision about who to include, it might be more justifiable to include a, a group of doctors, for example, who understand the risk benefit profile and might benefit from the research than a more vulnerable population who would be burdened by the research. Of course, the situation is very different for animals. Uh, today, hundreds of millions of animals are used in research uh, around the world. Every, around the world every year. And so we're suggesting that there should be a similar framework, a Belmont report for animals that guides decisions about um, the use of animals in research. And of course that would significantly restrict what can be done to animals. Laboratory animal research as we know it today would essentially um, be eliminated. But are they going to let that happen? You've got the National Institutes of Health using our tax dollars. They are the biggest torture of animals for medical research in the world, according to uh, White Coat Waste, which has done an extensive investigation into this. Uh, we just did an entire interview with White Coat Waste and Advancing Law for Animals. They are filing actions and seeking to stop the U.S. government from giving money to Russia, to laboratories in Russia, to do the most bizarre, hideous, and medieval experiments on cats, removing half of their brains and then getting them to walk on treadmills. You know, this treadmill thing has been carried out with all sorts of animals. They've even gotten fish, fish that have pads to walk on treadmills. This is medieval garbage science. It doesn't achieve anything. It's a big giveaway to faux scientists living in McMansions. Do you really think they're gonna say, oh yeah, this is ethically wrong. We're not gonna do it anymore. I mean, that's the problem. It's clearly ethically wrong. 90% of the drugs that work on animals don't work on people and vice versa. You know, if a dog eats chocolate, dog can die. We eat chocolate. Unfortunately, I eat a little too much chocolate sometimes. Nothing happens. So that's just one example of how what happens to animals doesn't apply to humans. Yeah. So, you know, we have a few things going for us. One is that public opinion is changing. More and more people are uncomfortable with the idea of laboratory research involving animals. And my colleagues and I uh, were fortunate enough to get grant funding from the National Science Foundation to explore these ideas around extending human research protections to animals, especially um, uh, animals who are currently used in research today. And the fantastic thing about that work is that we were able to work with people across the federal agencies at NIH, at FDA, at other federal agencies, uh, people from industry and drug companies, um, advocates, and bring all these people together basically for some common ground. And the really terrific thing about starting from the Belmont Report is that it focuses on ethical principles that are widely accepted within the field of medical ethics and within the field of research. And they, those principles, those ethical principles like respect for autonomy, do no harm, do good, justice, um, 
those principles are not just recon recognized for human beings anymore. They have been extended to considerations about the treatment of animals. And so that's why we think starting from the Belmont Report with a framework that many medical ethicists, scientists, doctors, human, and medis human medicine and veterinary medicine doctors um, and others, including regulators, agency leaders, already understand and embrace. And so we think that that's a great starting point. Um, and, and there are specific things that we're asking for kind of in line with a Belmont report for animals. Number one, that we should have increased transparency. You know, you're, you were mentioning some of the experiments um, and funding uh, regarding the use of animals in research. Well, unfortunately, to get a lot of that information, you often have to do a request through the federal government to obtain that information that should be transparent because of course it's supported by taxpayer funding. And then um, the other thing that we're asking for is federal funding shifts. Um, this idea that we should move toward more ethical, human-centered, human biology-based research that not only would benefit animals, would also benefit us as human beings, we need better solutions to the diseases and conditions that plague us. And then the other thing we're asking for and we're moving toward and we're really um, taking a leadership position here is creating a roadmap. How do we get from where we are today to more of a situation where it looks like we are applying these principles, these well regarded, well-known medical ethics principles consistently to humans and to other animals. What's the reaction you're getting in the medical and scientific community? Because there seems to be a huge divide. While to us average people and to a lot of doctors like Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, which is an organization that represents more than 12,000 uh, medical experts, doctors, and others, uh, they clearly um, believe and understand that we are wasting money by torturing animals and trying to uh, help human disease. Uh, but it seems like a lot of people who are invested, because this is a big money-making operation, the universities get a huge amount of money. Um, obviously, the quote-unquote scientists who are torturing these animals in these ridiculous experiments, and I think we have to go into how ridiculous they are. Uh, I can't even believe it when I see it. I was like, this is not possible. But it's true. Through Freedom of Information Act requests filed by PETA and White Coat Waste, and Physicians Committee and other organizations, uh, uh, Advancing Law for Animals has done legal work as well as uh, Animal Legal Defense Fund uh, over the years. What emerges is a portrait of just Frankenstein style, Freddy Krueger movie-like experiments. Uh, the one that comes to mind is they take a mother monkey and they sedate her. Then they put the baby monkey in with the mother. And then they come and they scare the baby with the snakes and with other fake snakes and with other things. They scare the baby and the baby tries to wake up mother. I saw the videotape. I wouldn't have believed it if I hadn't seen the videotape. Baby tries to wake up mommy. Mommy, please help. I'm scared. Mommy's out like a light. So she can't do anything. They didn't do this once. They did this for decades. It makes my blood boil 
my blood boiled that my tax dollars might have somehow been funneled into this medieval garbage. That's what I call it, garbage. What do we do to wake people up to the obvious that this isn't science, that this quote unquote basic research that they do and just uh, establish what, what it, it, it doesn't even make sense. A lot of times they do it to try to find answers to things like depression or drug addiction um, or alcoholism. You know, <laughs> there are programs that if people work them, work for um, those issues, especially drug addiction and alcoholism. Uh, I'm 27 years sober. I could testify in a court of law that torturing animals would not get me sober. Okay, it's a spiritual disease with a spiritual solution. And it's about personal growth. It has nothing to do with torturing animals. And yet they will spend millions of dollars on this and righteously beat their chest that they're helping. No, they're not helping the world. Uh, this is not helping. That money could be used to do actual science. So what is the modern approach that exists that is an alternative to this medieval nonsense? Well, you pointed to some really important issues, Jane. Um, and at Phoenix Zones Initiative, PZI, we advance the interconnected rights, health, and well-being of people, animals, and the planet through education, research, and advocacy. And we believe that to transform medical research, there are a couple of things that need to be done. One, we forward this Just One Health approach that focuses on primary prevention and justice um, and builds on a One Health approach, but that focuses on the idea that health can only be achieved through justice. And we must address social and environmental determinants of health, such as those that you pointed to, including those that influence individual behavior. We must focus on primary prevention. We've done um, a poor job of doing that. And the other thing is that we need to transform medical research. And we believe that that can be done through ideas like a Belmont Report for Animals to move us toward more human-centered, ethical, modern research. As you pointed out, there are a lot of experiments that are done that the public doesn't know about. Number one, we need to increase the amount of information factual information that people are getting without having to jump through hoops to do that, especially if it involves our, our tax dollars. Number but two- let me, let me jump in yeah. a little bit with that because I agree with you wholeheartedly. And yet uh, these organizations, and I've interviewed them repeatedly, all say the same thing. They want to get information about these experiments. They have to fight the U.S. government with Freedom of Information Act requests the government throws everything at them to prevent, especially videos, from being released because the videos really tell the story. When you see a cat who's sick and has half of his brain cut out walking on a treadmill and looking like this is torture because it's torture, everybody gets it. Like, what is going on here? Why is this happening? This is nonsense. What's that going to teach us about human health? Yeah. But the U.S. government and these universities fight to the death almost. They fight ferociously to keep the information from being released to the public, to keep the videos from being released to the public. So when you say, yes, we've got to have more transparency, that's nice. But the other side is hell bent on keeping transparency at a minimum or zero. 
In fact, there was a situation out here uh, which we covered and we went to the protest where there was, I don't want to mischaracterize it, so I'll be general, but this did happen. There was a proposal to uh, hide all the information about researchers uh, connected to certain experiments involving animals uh, on the grounds of privacy. So in other words, you couldn't find out who the researchers were. And uh, there was actually a protest outside the offices of the politician who proposed this. And she later claimed, oh, I had no idea that this was controversial. It was just proposed to me as, oh, we need our privacy. And then it was explained to her, no, this is exactly what animal experimenters do. So nobody can even know who their names are because they don't want to be held accountable. And the proposal was dropped. But that's the extent to which they go. They're always trying to protect themselves because uh, the general public is very upset about this and they don't want them to know what they're doing. And they're making a lot of money. This is a money-making operation. The people who make the torture devices, the cages, who breed the animals, who ship the animals, who experiment on the animals, the scientists themselves, the universities get a cut, as it were. I mean, and then there's the government filled with people who are basically either going to the industry or left the industry. The U.S. government has been co-opted by uh, the vivisection industry to a large degree. So please break it down. How are you going to get this transparency? Yeah. So you're pointing to one of the big reasons we are basically focusing on policy change, legislative change that would result in radical transparency regarding animal research. And here again, human research can provide uh, a standard if you are going to conduct human research, you have to register it publicly so that the public has access to it. And we are advocating for transparency that includes everything from when an animal is born to when they die. So for example, a lot, you know, a lot of people may not be thinking outside of even what happens in a laboratory protocol, but we believe that there needs to be transparency around breeding. For example, um, even, forced ejaculation, forced insemination, forced breeding. Um, what happens at birth? Most of those animals are taken away from their mothers at very young ages. Then, you know, what happens in terms of, of transportation? What happens in terms of captivity, these barren small cages? Um, you know, how, what happens in terms of the experiments? what kind of pain and suffering and discomfort is involved with the animals who are currently used in research. Um, and then, you know, all the way up to, you know, how much interaction do they have with other animals, their peers, their family members. When you shine sunshine on these issues and on these experiments, you find out that they have very little social interaction with other animals. They, they suffer even outside of the experiments as much as they suffer within the experiments many times. And then what happens all the way up to death? Most animals are killed. They, not, they aren't released after laboratory experiments. And how are they killed? You know, um, often they're killed in ways that cause more suffering. And so we believe that all of this information needs to be transparent to the public because when people find out more about what's happening, they are more likely to advocate for more change. Policy makers are more likely to stand up for uh, more change, something like a Belmont report for animals. 
And, you know, this not only has implications for the animals, it also has implications for, you know, humans. If you have an animal who is stressed and in pain and suffering throughout all of their life, and they are being used in research, at baseline, those um, results don't translate into human results. It, it's made even worse by the stress and suffering, which we know has implications for the immune system, for the cardiovascular system, um, for the endocrine system, basically for the neurological system. You cannot trust those results. And that's on top of the fact that if you look at, for example, human bioavailability versus animal bioavailability of a drug, and you look at non-human primates, dogs, and rodents, some of the most commonly used animals in research, that the, the data is all over the place. There's no direct relationship between human bioavailability of drug data, for example, and animal bioavailability of drug data. And that, that affects results. And then on top of that, you have the stress that's introduced by the laboratory environment, which makes it even more difficult to extrapolate. It, it reduces the validity and reliability of those experiments um, even further. So you have the suffering that, that animals experience during the course of uh, their use and research from birth until death. And then also you have the fact that, you know, humans are suffering in the US and around the globe because of preventable diseases, treatable diseases, and we could have better solutions if we would move toward more modern human-centered, human biology-based methods. I agree with you one hundred thousand percent my question to you is what is your strategy because you are on target with everything but given the forces allied against us what is your strategy when you say write a belmont report like who is that submitted to how does that get into the halls of power can you lay it out for us in people's terms yeah, so we've already written a Belmont report for animals and we've already, um, my colleagues and I have already published what this would look like, what it means in terms of moving toward a more anti-maleficent agenda and anti-harmful research agenda. And we are taking concrete steps to work with lawmakers to get these Belmont principles into public policy, legislation, as we also call for increased transparency, federal funding shifts, and a roadmap to get from where we are today to a human-centered ethical research agenda that serves human interests and represents the Belmont principles. So we are, we are working with lawmakers. We are working with uh, people across the federal agencies. We have worked with people in industry, one of the things we do at PZI is we build bridges across silos, human medicine, veterinary medicine, public health, the law, um, ethics, um, industry. We are very interested in helping people transcend their silos so that we can work together toward a strategic roadmap supported by legislation policy change that gets us from where we are today to where we need to be. We really think it's important to transcend a kind of patchwork um, approach, which is important. You know, it's important the individual work that people are doing on one experiment or a group of experiments, 
But we really need to start from a framework, much like we have in human research. The Belmont Report was transformative for human research, and we think it can be the same for how we think about research involving animals. Where was your Belmont Report for Animals published? In, in the Cambridge Quarterly for Healthcare Ethics, which is a widely disseminated and respected journal within medicine and medical ethics and research. And uh, when did that happen? When was it published and what was the reaction? It was first published online in 2019, then uh, in print in 2020. Um, and it's one of the most accessed articles for the journal, so I'm told by the editors. And um, since then, we've also followed up with another concrete paper in the Cambridge Quarterly for Healthcare Ethics earlier this year in January 2022 that, again, calls for an anti-maleficent uh, research agenda and spells out exactly how we need to make changes in public policy, for example, transparency and funding shifts that I talked about, also in education and training. As you mentioned, Jane, there's, um, there's a relationship between industry, academia, and the federal agencies working on, for example, drug development together. And so we feel like there needs to be a coordinated effort to also create a more um, ethical research agenda. And so we've laid out in those papers how we can get from where we are today to where we need to be. The other things that we're doing is supporting legislation that would also help us uh, toward this goal. We support the FDA Modernization Act and have advocated for the FDA Modernization Act to be passed. That act um, has bipartisan support. It's um, it's very favorable in, in Congress and even by industry and other pl key players. And it would basically rescind an 80-year-old, a Depression-era mandate that requires drug companies to do tests on animals. And it would basically allow drug companies to, to use more ethical, human-centered data. We are going to take a short break here, but on Voice America Radio. We're going to stay live on Facebook. Uh, we're talking about an absolutely crucial, crucial issue, ending cruel, useless, uh, waste of your tax dollars on animal experimentation. We'll be right back. Thank be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit VoiceAmerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. Get Unchained. Tune in every Monday for Jane Unchained on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Featuring nationally recognized, best-selling author, TV journalist, and social media influencer, Jane Velez Mitchell. This program takes you inside a trending lifestyle that's the next wave of human evolution. It all starts on your plate. If you want to revolutionize your life, get happier, more energized, then discover the secret. Tune in to Jane Unchained Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers 
Influencers channel. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on Instagram. Make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows, live events, and around the network. We want to see what you have to share as well. Check us out on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio. You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Yes, we are here with Dr. Hope Ferdosian, who is talking about a seismic change in how we relate to animals who are used and that's putting it mildly, in animal experimentation, they are tortured from the moment they are born or captured to the day they die. There is no um, nice way to uh, conduct experiments on animals. It is horrific torture. Hundreds of millions of animals are tortured. And it's not really doing anything for us. That money could be used to invest in modern uh, technologies. For example, they have organs on a chip now where they can test how uh, various medications, et cetera, would function and impact different aspects of the body by uh, this organ on a chip technology. And so they can see how it affects the human heart, not the heart of a monkey or a rabbit or a dog, but a human heart, a human kidney, a human brain. And uh, so these alternatives exist. Part of the problem is that we've had a pro-vivisection leadership at the National Institutes of Health for a long time. And now we have the the guy leaving who was very pro vivisection hopefully somebody who's a little more modern and who's more open-minded will replace him dr hope ferdosian um tell us what you think about that like in other words the nih is a big part of this problem so the nih like a lot of federal agencies still use animals in research and fund a lot of animal research. And so uh, we absolutely agree that we need leadership in addition to a strategic roadmap to move from where we are today to produce more human biology centered um, research that um, can benefit human patients. Um, currently, you know, right now what we're seeing in the US is that life expectancies are actually going down rather than going up. Over the past 20 years or so, the um, death rate associated with preventable diseases has remained about the same. And so we need much more positive solutions, including uh, emphasis on prevention, including primary prevention. There are many diseases that are preventable. Just think about the emergence of chronic diseases like obesity, cardiovascular disease, um, diabetes, and so forth. 
These are preventable diseases. We need better strategies. And in fact, Dr. Collins, Dr. Francis Collins alluded to this on an NPR interview, uh, I believe it was a few months ago, the need for better strategies to prevent and treat um, diseases like the chronic diseases that we're seeing, not only in adults, but also in kids. And so, you know, that's one of the solutions. And then in the area of drug development and vaccine development, Absolutely. We have seen with COVID how we can cut through the red tape, cut through the bureaucracy and produce um, vaccines and therapeutics at record rates. And pharmaceutical companies already want to do this. They already want to move beyond the mandate that they use animal tests, this 80 year old mandate that they use animal tests, depression era mandate. Pharmaceutical companies are ready to do that. And the FDA just needs to be willing to accept better, more modern data instead of animal tests. That's what the FDA Modernization Act would do. Uh, the FDA Modernization Act is a bill that we're supporting. It has bipartisan support in Congress, and it would basically eliminate the requirement that drug development companies test on animals if they have superior methods you know, at hand. Where does that bill stand right now? Uh, I think that's a very promising bill, the FDA Modernization Act. It's exciting. I mean, that sounds like a real prospect, especially if the pharmaceutical industry is behind it, because correct me if I'm wrong, my understanding is that the pharmaceutical industry has more lobbyists on Capitol Hill than any other industry. Um, and so if they're behind it, there's a very good chance that it could pass. Clearly, the pharmaceutical industry does not want to spend money on all these animal tests if it doesn't have to. I mean, it doesn't make any economic sense. They have to spend a lot of money breeding these animals and then doing the experiments and killing the animals. All these animals are killed. You know, there's there's a very tiny percentage that get adopted out um, after. And I work with the Beagle Freedom Project, which has taken some of these animals from these labs and... Uh, home them and try to untraumatize them, but it's very difficult. Uh, but generally, they are literally just killed, euthanized, taken down, whatever you want to call it, they're, they're killed. And um, so all of that costs money too. So if the pharmaceutical industry could do something that's more effective and cheaper, I would think obviously they would be in favor of that. So what is the overall attitude, if you can tell me from your perspective of the pharmaceutical industry regarding your efforts and the FDA Modernization Act? Over the years, I've had the opportunity to work with a number of uh, people in leadership positions at uh, pharmaceutical companies, including on this idea of a Belmont report for animals. And the people that I've worked with have been very supportive of this idea. And they are very supportive of eliminating the requirement that animal tests be used. Um, and a number of biotech companies, a number of tech companies have come out publicly to support the FDA Modernization Act. There was a hearing, I think it was a, a, a week or two ago, um, we submitted testimony, I submitted testimony um, in favor of uh, the FDA Modernization Act, as did many others. A lot of patient groups, patient advocacy groups support the FDA Modernization Act, scientists, 
physicians, uh, public health professionals, um, other than me, other than our team um, and our, our network of partners. Um, there, this has bipartisan support. It has support across industry, academics, and even within the agencies. And so, you know, we feel like it has a pretty good um, chance of, of passing in one form or another. And so, um, you know, one of the things that people can do to learn more is to go to transformmedicalresearch.org to learn more about how you so um, learn more about the FDA Modernization Act and contact your representative or your senators to support, to get them to sign on as a co-sponsor if they aren't already, or to support um, the bill in other ways. So, okay, now I want to give you my opinion on that, because uh, I do so many campaigns almost on a daily basis, piece of legislation in Sacramento, a, a federal legislation. People are very bad letter writers in today's world. If it's automatic, if they can go somewhere and click and automatically be transferred to their representative, half the time they don't even know who that representative is. No offense, I keep forgetting the name of my state assembly person, so it's not like I'm pointing the finger. Uh, there's a lot going on in this world. But um, can, have you set something up like that where people can just literally click and go to um, a, a, a website, hit one button and then send a letter out to, would it be their member of Congress or their state or their Senator, their U S Senator? It will be both. We have it set up automatically so that people can go to transformmedicalresearch.org and just with a couple of clicks and some, you know, you have to write your name and um, you know, where you live because that's what connects you to your senators and representative, but it will connect you with, all three of them, your two senators in your state and your um, your representative in the House of Representatives. Where is it in Congress? Like, is it in, usually it goes through uh, the House of Representatives and then it all, then goes to the U.S. Senate, not simultaneously, correct? Right, right. So there, the Senate and the um, House are working on this bill. Is it, well... Is it in a committee? I mean, can you lay it out a little bit? It is. It's in the health committee, in the uh, health subcommittee of the of the house. Yes. yes. Okay. And then and then and then their court, uh, Senator Booker has um, is uh, yeah is a primary uh, sponsor of the bill in the Senate. So it's in both houses. Wow! Wow! That is amazing. And when might it come up for a final vote? So it, it may be attached even as an amendment to legislation, but we're talking about it is actively being considered right now in Congress. And that's why it's so important for people to reach out to their members of Congress now rather than later. So that's the lead story. The lead that story is, it, I mean, the Belmont report is amazing, but the lead story is that there is this bill right now going through Congress called the FDA Modernization Act, and we need everybody to write. As soon as this live report is done, I'm gonna go on the website and I want to write that down and write down the website and uh, tell me what is the website so we can, um, it's, we can all write on this. This is so important. It's really simple to remember, transform 
medicalresearch.org. Okay. And, you know, it's funny because you'd think that all the groups would be getting together on this. I mean, have you partnered with other uh, nonprofits like, and I don't want to put anybody in the spot, but organizations that deal with this a lot, White Coat Waste, they have a huge ability to get get um, people to write. Uh, PETA uh, has done incredible work on this issue. Uh, the, the Cruelty-Free Cosmetics Act, uh, social compassion and legislation. Uh, there's a million groups that I could mention off the top of my head, you know, literally. We part, yeah, we are part of a coalition that includes um, medical groups, advocacy groups, patient advocacy groups, um, people from tech and um, animal advocacy groups like PETA. PETA is also promoting the FDA Modernization Act. Okay, so you go to transformmedicalresearch.org to support the FDA Modernization Act. And that is, um, I mean, of all the things that I've heard, and I talk to people constantly about this, uh, because again, after the torture of billions of animals, 80 billion a year for uh, unnecessary animal consumption, the next biggest crime against animals is arguably animal experimentation. And so, I, I am haunted, haunted by the videos that I've seen, and I've had to see quite a few of them. Uh, I got involved in this, well, almost 40 years ago. I was a reporter in Philadelphia, and somebody sent me a videotape, a cassette of head injury experiments on baboons. And it, it's the stuff of nightmares. I have never seen anything so degrading and disgusting. They smash the baboon's heads in. They're playing rock music. They're laughing and joking. And then they pick up the baboon's arm and let it drop. I think it was a baboon. It was a primate. And at that moment, when I was a cub reporter, I said, this is horrific. Uh, I really didn't know what to do about it. But that was right around the time that PETA was getting started. And uh, uh, ever since then, I, I've always said, you know, this has to end. It's very hard to see progress in real time. If the FDA Modernization Act passes, what? how will that look? What will happen as a result of that? Well, basically, the FDA would no longer mandate animal tests. It would allow drug companies, for example, to develop therapeutics without testing on animals. It would give drug companies that choice. Often given the choice, they choose superior, modern, more ethical methods. And basically that would result in saved lives of many, many, many animals. Um, we're talking about dogs, rodents, and non-human primates like monkeys. Let me, let me ask you this question. Um, the universities are right after the U.S. government, the universities and some of these nonprofits that get involved in, oh, we're going to find a cure for X, Y, Z, and somehow the cure never comes along. Like you talk about cancer, it, you know, President Biden just started talking about we're going to solve cancer. It seems like we hear this story over and over again. First of all, there's a lot of ways to prevent cancer. And uh, for example, uh, adopting a whole food plant-based diet is a, a very good way to prevent cancer. Processed meat, which is hot dogs, deli slices, uh, bacon is cancer causing, officially cancer causing, according to the World Health Organization. You don't hear the government talking about that. They're promoting meat and dairy. The U.S. government's the biggest promoter of meat and dairy right after the meat and dairy industry. They're 
pretty much hand in hand. The USDA has a joint uh, mandate to uh, supposedly look after uh, our food supply, but promote meat and dairy. Uh, it's run by a dairy trade group leader, Tom Vilsack. Uh, and so you have the U.S. government promoting animal experimentation and you have nonprofits, certain nonprofits, and then you have universities. I would expect these universities, which get a lot of money, they get a cut every time they get an animal experimentation, uh, animal uh, experiment project going in their university. Um, they would probably try to stymie this because they could read the handwriting on the wall. Once the pharmaceutical companies stop using animals and gee, everything is just fine and dandy because they were never helpful to begin with. It's going to have a ripple effect on all these other ridiculous experiments being done on animals. Yeah. So, you know, I'm an internal medicine and preventive medicine and public health doc. I still see patients. I teach residents and, and medical students, for example. I work with a lot of other doctors who want to see better solutions for patients. And, you know, you know, within academic institutions, our mandate is to serve our patients and our communities. And so, you know, there, as you mentioned, there are strong ties between uh, federal agencies, academic centers and industry, but that's one of the reasons that we feel that they have to also be part of the solution. And, you know, this, we're really talking about a win-win. We're talking about a win-win that serves people, um, because we need more ethical and effective uh, interventions. Prevention, as you mentioned, is so key. Um, and then also therapeutics where prevention um, doesn't quite meet uh, our needs. And, you know, and the other thing is we absolutely need to transform medical research, how it's conducted, you know, what transparency surrounds medical research. And as I mentioned earlier, PZI, we're really focused on bridging silos, bridging these silos where um, people are doing important work, but we really need holistic solutions that benefit, in this case, people and animals. This is a win-win. I like your attitude and I like your strategy. Find the win for the other side is absolutely crucial. So for the pharmaceutical industry, the win is the modernization of their processes, speed, streamline their processes, cost them less money because all this animal experimentation is expensive and it's grueling. It's like a whole side operation that has to be conducted at the same time that is this horrible, I would say, probably thorn in their side. Uh, and um, so there, there's the win for the pharmaceutical industry. I mean, the win, one of the things that I think is great about this, and White Coat Waste makes a point of this, is this is a bipartisan issue. Uh, the Republicans who, who care about taxpayer waste uh, and talk about it a lot, this is wasteful. This is waste of money. Uh, the prime example that I could just point to Half a million dollars in November sent to the Pavlov Institute in Russia to torture cats, to, to, have, to take out half of their brains and have them walk on treadmills. Tell me how that possibly helps American taxpayers. There's no answer to that because it doesn't. And by the way, a lot of these experiments have been done by different people, different universities, different institutions, since time immemorial, they were breaking dogs' spinal cords before Christ 
to see what would happen. And they're still doing it. They're still breaking animal spinal cords. In fact, there was a spinal cord aspect to those experiments in Russia. I mean, this is unconscionable, but yet you have a great strategy. You're not getting angry. You're getting effective and you're finding the win. So what's the win for the universities? Well, as I mentioned, universities are genuinely interested in serving the patients. So we're talking about academic medical centers, for example, the patients they serve in the clinical setting, and then also the communities that they serve. Academic medical centers are part of a community. And the more we have more effective, ethical, human biology-centered solutions to address the many diseases that we see every day. You know, the healthcare system is strapped right now. Many um, physicians, nurses, other healthcare professionals are actually leaving the field. And part of the reason for the decrease in morale is because we are seeing we are seeing chronic diseases we're seeing lack of effective therapeutics lack of effective prevention and treatment strategies and so doctors nurses scientists other people researchers at academic institutions want more effective um, solutions for patients for the communities that we are serving and this is where we think that federal funding shifts must come in you know really this needs to come from the federal federal agencies they need to provide more funding for more human-centered research to be done at academic medical centers ethical, human-centered, human biology-based research. So what is the timeline for all this? We only have two minutes left. What can we expect? Everybody, please uh, go to transformmedicalresearch.org right now. Just stop what you're doing. Stop watching this. Go to Transform Medical Research right now, transformmedicalresearch.org, and sign this uh, very easy to sign letter that will be sent out to your uh, two members of Congress, uh, two U.S. senators and your member of Congress. And um, beyond that, we don't know the timeline for that. We don't know when it might happen. So we expect it in this year, 2022. We're expecting, we are we are expecting FDA Modernization Act to continue to get the attention that it deserves and to pass, ideally pass in um, both houses. That's what we would like to see. And that's why it's so important that people get involved. If you go to transformmedicalresearch.org, you can also sign up to be kept um, abreast of you know, any um, activity on a Belmont report for animals, the other pu public policy initiatives that we are leading, like increased radical transparency, um, as well as federal funding shifts, changes in the pipeline and pathways regarding education and training, and the creation of a strategic roadmap that really gets us from where we are today to where we need to be tomorrow. Acknowledging the principles, the ethical principles that should guide human research and any decisions about the treatment of animals. Well, this is extraordinary. I, I just applaud your work and I applaud your attitude too, because you're in exactly the frame of mind where you can communicate with people and find the win in the other side. I just read this book about business because we've launched a streaming network through our nonprofit, Unchained TV. You can download it on your phone. You can download it uh, on your uh, television uh, via 
Amazon Fire Stick, Apple TV device, Roku on your Samsung uh, and Apple Smart TV. And it's a new streaming network, hundreds of videos and stories. Your story will be up there uh, next week or in a couple of days. But, you know, I needed to learn more about management. I was on camera talent for a long time. And uh, what this book said was find the win for the other side. Instead of blaming, find the win for the other side. And, if, and you can bypass the conflict because that gets messy. And I think that's exactly what you're doing. Uh, I just think you're very, very strategic and I wish you the very best of luck. And we will definitely be involved in promoting uh, that website and the FDA Modernization Act, as well as the Belmont Report and the other report that followed that. And we'll uh, include links to those when you send them to us. And uh, I just want to thank you for all your hard work. Uh, just extraordinary, uh, really, really important work. So thank you, uh, Dr. Hope Ferdosian uh, in the house here on Unchained TV. See you next time. Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week.